Hello, Alan. Hi, Cass. This is Anime Extra Jerks. Uh, how are you doing, Alex? We, 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 are, we, we are the jerks. We are the jerks. How are you doing, Alex? Uh, I'm tired. I got back. I was visiting family and I got back last night. I, I didn't yeah. sleep well. I got back. I was visiting family and then I got back today. Fucking hell. Yeah. I, I, it's like we're parallel, living parallel lives of each other. Yeah, it's almost like we're living in parallel universes. Segway! How many Tatanis is your room? I have no idea. It's like, I think it's like, it's pretty big. I mean, like the, I mean, it's much bigger than the the room from the show. So I would say, like, probably, it's probably like a six tatami room, maybe. How big is a tatami? Uh, I looked this up. I looked this up. Uh, so a tatami is 0.9 meters by 1.8 meters, depending on the region. Oh boy. Uh, uh, so yeah, so a, a Kyoto tatami is 0.955 meters by 1.91 meters. And okay, so basically six by three f- feet probably more or less um and then a tokyo tatami on the other hand is 0.88 meters by 1.76 meters and a nagoya tatami is 0.91 meters by 1.82 meters fucking hell this they is gotta, they gotta they gotta standardize that there's shit. truly a galaxy of tatami out there well it is standardized it just doesn't make it just doesn't make oh, just doesn't sense. map nicely onto onto the metric system uh, well, I thought you said there was. Th- well, there are different tatami sizes. I guess, based depending on region, yeah. Yeah, yeah you got to get a new tatami when you move. That's fresh, um, right? so. Yeah, we we talk about tatami because this month we are talking about the Tatami Galaxy, uh, directed by Masaki Yuasa, and produced by Madhouse, based on the novel by Tomohiko Morimi, uh, which the novel is oh, called th- Four and a Half Tatami Mythological Chronicles. Yeah, I think my living room is twenty. Four tatami? That's a lot of tatami. Well, because it's my, my living room is 12 by 24 feet. Yeah. No, I didn't do the math right. Yeah, because 12 so it's, it's, feet. It's two, it's two, it's two, if you put them long ways, it's two on the 12 foot side. And then eight, so 16 tatami. Well, I, well, you see, because, because, because you, you will get into this now, I guess, which is that I was, I was looking at, because I was wondering what the hell a tatami is. Um, and like, oh, it's those mats that you see in the floors of Japanese rooms. But it turns out that, like, there's a reason why they use, like, four and a half tatami with the specific tatami sizes that they do. And it's because there's this tradition from the Edo period, um, where, where room, like, layouts of the mats on the floor are deemed either auspicious or inauspicious. And you want an auspicious layout. And auspicious layouts are ones where the edges of the tatami form a T-shape where they meet, and an inauspicious layout are ones where they form a cross shape. Um, and so so you see the tatami layout on, on Senpai's floor. The, the Wikipedia article uh, for this... Uh, for this anime claims that the protagonist's name is Watashi, but I refuse to believe that. That's just... Uh, yeah, that's just the, that's just the, the a Japanese personal pronoun. Uh, well, should we, I could look on IMDb. Yeah. Or Letterbox. They describe it. They say that his name is Watashi and that he is an unnamed college student. <laughs> well, that, is he unnamed or not? You fuck. I guess we'll call him Watashi. Oh wait, Letterbox doesn't have TV shows. It's just movies. Yeah. Uh. I'm just kind of calm. What's what's the nerd in? Oh, the senpai is in. The night is short. Walk on girl is just senpai. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, so I just call him Senpai. Yeah, we just call him. Yeah, we'll call him. He's, 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 he's essentially the same character. He's slightly less of a loser. Slightly. Um. Uh, so yeah. So uh, the Tatami Galaxy is an anime from uh, 2010. Uh, Alex, I know the answer to this question, but I have to ask you anyway because that's how the podcast works. Did you like this show? Nope. It was just like all the bad parts of that I short walk on girl back to like on repeat for five hours. See, I thought this show was in fact much better than Night is Short Walk on Girl and was in fact just the good parts of Night is Short Walk on Girl. What the hell? Um like it's what it's it's honestly baffling to me that you hated it so much considering it's virtually identical to Night is Short Walk on Girl. Um what look, I like the first half of Night is Short Short Walk on Girl was great because it was a short it was <laughs> and it was and it was like subverting the manic pixie dream girl trope and then the second half of night is short walk on girl just re- reified the trope and just went to hell and i mean i don't really think that the first half of night is short walk on girl subverts the manic pixie dream girl trope really maybe well it doesn't like it it made me think it that was gonna be what happened yeah. basically it it's it it telegraphed that I think like, the thing about this show and to, to mount a, a slight uh, a lukewarm defense of the way that the show ends I think the thing about this show that makes it not manic pixie dream girly to me is one Akashi is not much of a manic pixie anything uh, and well, two no I, a- I yeah this yeah she's not that is, this isn't the manic pixie dream girl it's just like it's just um, a very like conventional like sexist framed romance uh i suppose um how so well because like it's it's the same sort of like it's just well i guess i guess in this case what what yeah what we hated about the very short walk on girl was that in the second half it was basically like her yeah. Basically doing all the work to make him less of a shitbag. Yeah. And that's and exactly what I liked case, about this show is that in this show the, Senpai actually does the work and like becomes but, a better person. Yeah. Um like there's character another, growth here. There is, but it also what it also does was we'll get into the structure of the show and you'll you'll probably have to fill in some gaps because I yeah. didn't watch them at Yeah, all. you did not finish the so show. Bored. Yeah, so we each get one yeah. Bye. You 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 one, one you bye watch, annually. You didn't watch half of Noir. I didn't watch half of this. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, because of the way how it's kind of like most of the show is just all the different ways his college years could have gone. It's like there's this inevitability that she's just gonna wait around for him to like. S- s- stop being a fuck up and become like a baseline decent human being and then she'll be ready for him when he's like there so it, it's a it's a it's a different sort of trope but it's another one of like her constant availability just for, for, for when he finally gets there and like uh and manages to like Get his shit together. Be- be- become, become dateable. Right. Yeah. Um, I definitely... Because I, I don't think that... Like, I think part of it is that he's not, like, 
unlovable from the very beginning. You know, like he's not he's not a fuck up. He's just sort of convinced that he is, which well, is sort of becomes you know, self fulfilling. The same thing, yeah. I mean, like he's like like he inevitably like like the, I thought. I mean, kind of the idea of the first however many episodes of like no matter what he does he's a dipshit who makes bad choices and ends up in a downward spiral where he becomes <laughs> like a piece of shit by the end of it i mean i think that that's it's it's not that it's inevitable because he's a piece of shit it's that it's inevitable because he has unrealistic expectations of the world around him okay okay that's fair yeah like that's um, sort of the thing that they talk about in the in the last episode before like the two-part finale like Higuchi talks about that in the in the in in the last episode of the two-part finale he has this like monologue that he said where he talks to senpai and he talks about how like there is no such thing as the rose-colored campus life like you're never gonna find that um okay yeah um and and like like that's sort of what the the sort of thematic meat of the last shoe episodes is which we can get to we can get to when we get to them so so let's let's sort of talk about i guess what this show how the show is structured if you haven't seen it so okay. every episode is about so it basically follows a guy his name he's unnamed we will call him senpai because he's he's very similar to the character senpai from night is short walk on girl uh and he is in his second year at university uh and the basically every episode starts with a cold open where his life is just falling into shambles you know, he's he's being accosted, or he's, he's um, you know, just, he, he's dying, or he's just, like, just, <laughs> like, just all sorts of shit happens to this guy. And then, it's basically, the rest of the episode is a sort of walkthrough of how he got from the, his first day on campus, when he's meeting all of, of, like, the different university circles, um, to that point, um, uh, where, where his life is a complete disaster, and it's, it's the end of everything, um, and there's a lot of sort of sort of parallels between each of the universes. So in, in almost all of them, except for the last two episodes, uh, he meets a guy named Ozu, uh, who is usually described as looking like a yokai. Uh, he it's it, what is a yokai? A yokai is a Japanese demon spirit, like uh. that guy who lives in toilets and he asks you if you want red paper or blue paper, and then if you say the red paper, he, yeah, and then if you say red paper, he stabs you a bunch in the back, and if you say blue paper, he strangles you, and the only way to get him to go cool. away is to say no paper. Oh, uh, how do you wipe your ass then? I mean, would you rather uh, ha- would you rather have a gross ass or be dead? Uh, oh. uh, or that lady uh, where she like wears a scarf and you, you if you ke- see on the road she'll ask you if you think she's beautiful and if you say yes then she'll take her- and if you say no then she'll kill you and if you say yes then she'll take her scarf off and reveal that she like she like has like a like her head has been cut off and like sewn back on or something like that yeah. and then she'll be like. Do you, do you still think I'm beautiful? And if you say yes again, then she'll cut your head off to make you look like her. Uh, ah. And if you say no, then she'll just kill you. Uh, so yeah, those are yokai. Uh, What's the correct answer in that case? There is no correct answer. You're just, you're hoisted. Oh fuck! You're boned. Nice. Uh, I think I think there's there's some versions of the myth where if you say I think you're so so, you know I think you're okay. <laughs> then you then you get you get then she'll be confused and you can run away. <laughs> There's also another one that I found out about like a week ago. Uh, that's like this guy who looks like a, he looks like Mike Wazowski from Monsters Inc. And he follows you around uh, on the road. And the way to get him to go away is you st- you stop and you stand over the side of the way side of the road. And you say after you, 
Uh, and then he, he'll walk, and he'll, like, breathe heavily on your neck the entire time, and then he'll, you know, he'll walk away, and he'll stop bothering you. Um, so yeah, so he looks like a yokai because he doesn't eat, is, he doesn't eat any vegetables, and he only eats instant food. Um, and he's, and he's the devil, and he's good at running away, and... Uh, he's in the electrical engineering department, but he hates both electricity and electronics, as well as engineering. (laughs) Um, which, god, that that fucking got to me. (laughs) I forget which episode that goof is in, but it's, it's, it it fucking got, because that's the other reason why I like the show, is it's very funny. Um, uh... I mean, I, like... I can appreciate, like, the humor, just not when that's all it is. And, like, with Night of Short Walk On Girl, like, the first, like, 45 minutes of, like, goofiness is great. Like, beyond that, I need something more. Yeah, I guess uh, when it comes to, like, like the style of humor in this show really clicks with me. It's a very like okay. it's a very wordy show. There's a lot of dialogue. Everybody talks really really fast. Um, like I, I thought I was gonna have to like it was like a. Uh, uh, it's very obviously very obviously adapted from the. Book. Yeah, it's it's very it's like uh, a place further than the universe where I felt like I, I had to watch it at half speed in order to no. follow what was going on. I just, I just kind of zoned out. Um, yeah, like, I, I worked really hard to follow it because there is a lot of just, I, I, like, I, a lot of the dialogue is really funny. There's a lot of, like, and, like, the style of this show, it's, it's sort of like a prototype. It feels in a lot of ways like a prototype version of the style of Night of Short Walk On Girl, but it also does a bunch of stuff that Night of Short Walk On Girl doesn't do that I think is super great. Like, there's a, a really heavy use of, like, animation mixed with live action, yeah, um, yeah, which is is super cool, and it, it feels like it, it in that way. It feels like it's from like the year two thousand and not the year twenty ten. Like because right, yeah, all the live action footage like... has this like it's like super it's like posterized and like super like like hue shifted and like like has like intense color filters on it. Um, you know to like match yeah, the color it's of kind the animation. Of like the... Like the live action snippets in from like End of Ava. It, it, I was thinking and comparing it to that because the live action stuff from End of Ava is mostly just sort of like straight up, like like they show a shot like you would in any other movie of a bunch of people in a movie theater. I I know they don't interpose it, but yeah. they do some. They do like filters and yeah. color and, um, and yeah, effects. Which definitely, I think the graininess yeah. reminded me. Of I it. think definitely End of Ava walked so that this show could run. Uh, in the live action uh, department, but yeah, it's a lot of yeah. stuff. Like a lot of like the background art uh, will it will be, and they do this a lot in uh, in the last two episodes. A lot of the background art will be like video of you know a bridge. You know, like there's a shot in the in the first episode where uh, Senpai and Takashi are sitting on a bridge uh, together. And, like, the whole background of, like, the bridge that they're sitting on and, like, the river underneath the bridge and everything and all the trees around it is all video. And then, like, them and the specific spot that they're sitting are all are all hand-drawn. And it, like, mm. it could be, it, it could, like, there's a world in which the show looks very shitty, but instead it looks awesome. Um, yeah. Like, it, it really works. Oh, yeah, that looks great. And, and, the, and the music is great. Yeah. Like the- the credits music yeah. is a banger. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the, but the opening the opening credits is uh, is by uh, Asian Kung Fu Generation, who are awesome. Uh, and I don't know who did the closing credits music, but the closing credits music also are amazing. Um, so yeah, so the first episode, uh, basically, like the the senpai joins a the tennis circle, which is just a, a circle dedicated, seemingly dedicated to playing tennis and falling in love. 
Um, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. Like it's just, it's just like you, you go to, you go play tennis and then you date people from the tennis circle. Um, and, and almost immediately he realizes that he doesn't have the social skills to cut it in the tennis circle. Uh, and he meets, he meets Ozu, uh, and they decide to form a team where they break up people's relationships, um, by, like... Writing insults on the tennis balls. Like, writing insults on the tennis balls, or, like, just, like, spreading nasty rumors, or, like, like the opening sort of, like, thing that they're doing is they're sitting on a riverbank opposite from a bunch of, like, couples who are there to watch this, like, ceremony where they light up different... They light up the mountains, uh, and then they just shoot a bunch of fireworks at them to just ruin it. Um, and you got a really, a really good gif of Akashi in that... Oh, in, that, yeah, in that scene, yeah. which is which is we great. Um, Post in the show notes. What, do you do you know? Did you know what the kanji character was on the mountain? Uh, they talk about it at the very end of the show, and they they mention it. Okay, I was paying uh, attention. Yeah, uh, but I forget I forget what it was because like they talk about how like there's five mountains sort of in the vicinity of Kyoto, and they light up a different character on each one. Uh, um, and that was like why Ozu is gonna steal the. <sighs> the airship was so that he could see all five at once. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of, like, it's hard to follow what the hell is going on in this show, but if you if you work hard and pay attention, there's a lot of just rewarding trash I, in there. I, I, I did not yeah. work hard or pay attention. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so at this point, at like the point where they're shooting fireworks at, at innocent couples uh, on a riverside uh, in order to just ruin their evening for no reason, like, uh, Senpai is where he usually is in most of these episodes, which is blaming Ozu for all of his problems. Um, yeah. Because, you know, he's, he's convinced that if he'd never met Ozu, his life would be so much better. Um, you know, and so he... The other thing that happens in pretty much every episode is he meets a fortune teller. Um, oh, yeah. And the fortune teller is this just weird running joke where he... So he, he runs up, he goes, you know, finds a fortune teller on the street and walks up to her and she says... Uh, you know, there's an opportunity. She says at first, you are unsatisfied. And I feel like if you're a fortune teller in a university town, just like saying you are unsatisfied to like 20 ish year old people, probably a pretty good grift. Uh, like you could probably, you could probably get it from that, you know? Um, but she says there was an opportunity dangling right before your eyes. Uh, and then asks him for a thousand yen. Uh, and then in every episode, the price goes up by a thousand yen. And so in the second episode, she's like, "That'll be two thousand yen." And she and he's just like, "Did your prices increase?" Um, because like, like, and this this show has an interesting way of sort of playing with the idea that like he doesn't remember. So I should I should clarify. So at the end of this episode, like Ozu and him are like on a bridge, and Ozu is like has the entire town mad at him, and he's also like dressed as a woman for some reason. He's had a weird night. Um... There's some transphobia like throughout the yeah. show, um, yeah, like when when he puts up that billboard of like the the nerd trying to own him. Oh yeah, uh, and the nerd cross dresses. Yeah, that's uh, one of like the I didn't ways they dunk on him. I didn't interpret, I guess, the the specific Ozu bit as transphobic because for me it was just like, man, Ozu's had a weird evening, huh? He's just <laughs> yeah, he's I, had a weird time. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't sure, but like coupled um, with the other bit, yeah. um, and like, and like with the idea that Ozu is like, at least it, until the last two episodes, he's represented as so hideous, um, and so that plays into like, yeah, 
like trans women in dresses being like oh once you see their face oh hideous yeah um so ozu has an angry mob after him and then to save ozu senpai like dives off the bridge and into the river and he's like if only i could go back and pick a different circle and not the tennis circle and that is sort of the setup for the premise of this show which is that every episode is a parallel universe in which he joined a different circle in college um and and how it plays out um and so in like in episode two he joins the movies basically it's yeah. <laughs> basically every every circle the same thing happens yeah. which is why i got bored very quickly yeah. um in episode two he joins the movie circle and the movie circle is run by this guy named what is his name i want to get the pronunciation right and i remember. uh sorry Jogas- I help you. I jogasaki okay. uh and he is he is this like he's this like ripped bro um and he hates the movie circle because he's just like he's the kind of like student filmmaker whose films are just like empty and pretentious trash um and he really like wants to make movies and stuff like that but his his movies are just completely soulless even as they are somewhat technically competent senpai or no 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 um uh jogasaki and sen- those, Jogasakis aren't pretentious. They're just like they're just sort of empty trash. They're just they're just like action trash yeah. that always starring yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. And and senpais are like like really am- over ambitious for his budget and skills, and so they come off as just being very stupid and pretentious. Um, yeah. Let me see if I can find the thing that. But of course, Akashi likes them. Uh, Akashi, Akashi says that they're very stupid, uh, that, but that doesn't mean that I didn't like them, <laughs> uh, or something, or something along those lines. Um, but yeah, so, and going back to these subtitles, there's a lot of, like, stuff that gets set up early on in this show that gets paid off later. Um, like, the, like, like the, the ramen shop. No, yeah, the ramen chat, but, like, I'm looking at the specific line where in the first episode when Senpai and Ozu are having a conversation, are, like, eating dinner together, and they're they're having an argument, um, and, uh, Ozu talks about, what's your name, from Night is Short, uh, Higuchi, no, not Higuchi, uh, Hanuki, Hanuki, Hanuki. talks about Hanuki, uh, what I only know is just like Hanuki is back. Yeah, yeah, uh, and 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 the, the he's one, like she's the, the dental hygienist, and, and, and he's like she's the dental hygienist, the dentist I go to. Um, uh, and then he's like, I bet you've never had a young lady like that stick her fingers in your mouth your entire life, right? Oh, <laughs> 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 um, um, yeah, right. What Akashi says about about Senpai's movies are, it was definitely worthless, but I didn't hate it. Yeah. <laughs> <Which> is, <laughs> um, and so to get back at, at Jogasaki, Ozu and Senpai and Higuchi decide to create like a like a hit piece documentary against him, <laughs> where they're gonna like out him as an adult baby who has a love doll and a, a rock climbing wall made out of made out of breasts. Yeah. Uh, they're just gonna add him as a pervert who's obsessed with tits. Um, and, like, they, <laughs> I thought it was very funny that this, like, this book is, like, came out in 2004, and it was made in 2010, but when they're making this movie, they're still just, like, cutting together, like, sh- long strips of magnetic tape. 
Oh. Like they just—they're just in this room, just like full of just like reels of tape and like reels of film, and there's just like film and tape hanging off the thing. And they're just like, like they're physically like cutting and taping things together, like it's the seventies. Yeah. Uh, it's it's timeless, truly. Yeah, it's timeless. It's really great. Uh, so they decide. Of course, that makes for, that makes for much more interesting shots than just like yeah. being a nerd on the computer. Yeah, then oh, watch watch these anime characters use Adobe Premiere. <laughs> so, uh, and then we we also get in the first episode some introduction to Akashi-san, uh, who works at the used book market, and she's sitting there and she's reading, and this guy is like, "What do you do on vacations, Akashi-san?" And she says, "Why do I have to tell you something like that?" <laughs> It just freezes yeah, the entire, entire room. One of my, area, my yeah. probably my favorite joke of the entire show is when she wins the bike race, uh, and then the guy is like, "What are you going to do with the prize money?" And she's like, "There's no reason for me to answer that question." <laughs> she's she Akashi rules. She's my hero. Oh, she whips ass. Oh. It's uh, if only she didn't fall for a senpai. Um. Yeah, and then there's some other elements that, that reoccur. Like he always gets a, a giant Castella that he eats all by himself. In his, in his four and a half tatami room. Uh, and the fact that Akashi is afraid of moths, which gets paid off in the last episode. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, Akashi's obsession with Mochigoman, which are these, like, children's superheroes with big heads uh, that she has little <laughs> figures of attached to her bag, and she lost one. Um, and that is the opportunity that is dangling in front of, of Senpai's eyes, okay. is that he has... He found her Mochigoman... And it's hanging, he, like, put it on his light switch in his room, like, dangling in the center of his room, uh, so that he wouldn't forget it, and then he has forgotten it for two years. <laughs> yeah, so, like, it's the, yeah, then at one point, yeah, is it the, oh, yeah, it's the fortune teller who says you have an opportunity dangling in front of you, and he can't for the life of him figure out what she's talking about. Yeah. And it's Akashi who says, you've forgotten your promise. Yeah. His, his promise being take her to the Neko Cafe. Yeah. And so um, they meet up on the bridge where everybody is like, is preparing to watch the, like, uh, the fireworks. And also everybody's mad at Ozu. Um, and he just like walks over and he's just, he's drawn like a fucking Picasso painting. He's just like, he's just like, he's just like <laughs> shivering with anger. Like he looks like he's made of ice cubes. Well, okay, wait, wait. So this, oh, I forgot. This is the so this is the first episode. Yeah. And so uh, when we're introduced to Higuchi in this episode, he actually they don't um, call him by Higuchi. No, they call him it, the god he, of. Uh... He just he, well, he introduces himself as the god of matchmaking. Yeah. And somehow knows everything about senpai, including how he smells as a baby. Life. And and says that he's gonna basically give senpai the opportunity to unfuck his life and go out with akashi and so this is his first test to see if he can like hold a real conversation with her yeah and naturally he fails there's also in the second episode uh senpai one of the movies that he makes is a movie about a man trapped in a never-ending maze of four and a half tatami rooms um, which okay. then gets paid off later as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so then uh, in the second episode, like like and in 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 a lot of the episodes, Ozu and and Senpai have this have a conversation that where Ozu is basically like, after all, it doesn't matter which path you take, you keep ending up right where you are now. Um, and, and then he says, at any rate, once I met you, I put all my efforts into making you no good. 
then so yeah so they then, yeah then every episode somebody else says me like why can't you just leave me alone and he's like we're connected by the black thread of and then fate. they show that graphic of them falling into the mariana trench <laughs> uh it's good it's a good show uh, no it's not yeah it's a great show um so uh so yeah so then they 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 make this movie that's like a hit piece about how uh Jogosaki is an adult baby and he has a love doll and um you know that he's a he's a loser um uh and then, <laughs> and then like so he releases the movie and Jogosaki is pissed at him and is like after him and so he's like basically like preparing to leave town um and Kashi's like, I preferred your earlier films. This one was of questionable character. You are an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and he's like, I know. Yeah, he's like, I know. You're right. Uh, yeah, it'll take another ten episodes for him to do anything about it. Yeah. Um, so then in the third episode... Uh, he joins the cycling club, uh, but gets in the in the cold open. He gets his bike stolen by the the ha- the bicycle police, uh, who are like a bunch of like fucking orcs that go around <laughs> stealing people's bikes that have been illegally parked. Um, and he he like spent a ton of time working up for this like super expensive bike because he has no talent for bike riding and he has he has no time to he, he like doesn't give a shit enough about the sport to actually put an effort to getting into shape so he just buys the like lightest fastest bike that he possibly can, um, yeah. uh, and then it gets it, it immediately has it taken from him yeah, um, and then then he meets Ozu who is who rises out of the sea looking exactly like the creature from The Shape of Water. Uh, I haven't seen that movie. Neither have I. Oh, okay. Um, and so in that one, next 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 podcast. Yeah, next podcast. Uh, uh, and so so senpai puts a lot of effort into getting this bike, and then it gets it gets stolen from him by the cycle by the cycle club. Um, and then he gets recruited by the Birdman Club, which Akashi is a part of because <laughs> Akashi's an engineer. Um, and the Birdman Club is this comp- is a club that participates in this competition where you build a airplane that crashes into a lake. Um, and so he gets recruited because he has the perfect body for it. And they're all just like, oh, I see, you really do have a feeble body. You're exactly the kind of man perfect to become a bird. And, and then they're all, they're all like, this is the ideal male body. You may not like it, but this is what peak performance looks like. Damn, it's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he, gets selected, the, so he gets selected to be the Birdman specifically because he's so frail and useless. Uh, and then he's so proud of being selected that he decides to get ripped to help out the team. And they're like, no, you can't get ripped. We selected you because you're so frail and useless. And so like, okay, Akashi, yeah. you're going to be the Birdman now. Yeah. Instead. Get out of here, senpai, you fuckface. Um, and so he goes to train with Jogusaki uh, and on his breast rock climbing wall. Uh, oh, yeah. And they go up to a, like a, a like the top of a mountain at like a, to see the sunrise, and Jogusaki just like stands there. He's like, "Grab victory and grab women's tits," because <laughs> he's stupid fucker. He's such a dumbass. It's amazing. Um, yes. Um, yeah. So so then after that, he he basically he he shows up like totally ripped, and the guy running the the, the guy in charge of the club is like, "You and your muscles can get out of here." 
<laughs> and, then it, and then um and then he uh senpai's like i'm sorry that i didn't meet your expectations and akashi's like no the problem was that that you far surpassed them birdman is after all an absurd goal against it goes against the reason of man that's why i was thinking that the pilot should be a person with a soul charred by idleness and wasted passion <laughs> um, and then it's revealed that ozu is the guy who's been behind all the 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 the, the cherry cycle to the cherry cycle core uh the Cheery Cycle Collection Corps, I think is what it's called, uh, which are the guys who go around and, and collect collect bikes, and he is in fact uh, planning to collect the Birdman plane that Akashi's been that Akashi and her club has been, have been building, uh, and sell it to quote someone in the north. Um, <laughs> um, and he's like, "We're in a recession, so bicycles alone aren't cutting it." Uh, um, and so he tries to recruit. Uh, senpai into it, and Senpai's like, only if I, I, I'll join you only if I can name mainly at couples riding two to a bike. Um, um, and then it turns out that Ozu is hoisting him because Akashi finds out what's going on and goes to go after the plane that she designed. Uh, and then Ozu's just like, well, here, take this trench coat and this hat that I've been wearing, uh, and you're, uh, the new, the new trench coat guy now. See ya. Um, and then he's just, like, standing there with Akashi, just, like, looking at him, thinking that he's been the one stealing everybody's bikes and that he just stole her plane. Uh, hoisted. Hoisted, indeed. Um. Well, because he's too much of a dipshit to just take (laughs) Yeah. He's just standing there just being like, uh, 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 it's not what it looks like. (laughs) It's basically what it looks like, Um, Kudinkus. Yeah, so then in episode three, Senpai joins the, uh, the circle not really a circle. That was, he becomes a. Dis- well, that was episode three, right? No, that was episode two, the movie episode. No, 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 that was episode three. Talking, episode four, bikes, yeah. yeah, episode four is the one where he becomes Higuchi's disciple uh, and learns to it learns the art of of lewd jokes and avoiding the library police. Okay, this is where I started like drifting. Yeah, um, in that in consciousness, and becomes part of the this like multi generational like masochistic proxy war. Between proxy 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 war, yeah, the proxy 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 war, uh, uh-huh. uh, and because and so he is is chosen to be the next proxy in the war, which is currently between uh, Higuchi and Jogasaki, uh, and he's like working with Ozu, who's also a disciple uh, of of Higuchi, and they like pull pranks on Jogasaki, like like they throw like a cube of cockroaches into his room, and I'm like, where the hell? <laughs> Where do you get a cube of cockroaches? <laughs> where do you where do you find that? Um, how do you Amazon how do you make com. that? I know you can buy ants in the mail. Yeah. Um, you know, I think and I think you can buy bees in the in the mail. Well, yeah, there's that with that there's the screenshot that goes around every now and then about the person who bought the crickets from Amazon. Right? Ah. And they, and they didn't come in like a double sealed box so you just open the first box and crickets in your house <laughs> um uh, there's, there's there was an, a, a screenshot of like a google ad that i saw once and it was the text of the ad there was no picture the text was just for one dollar we'll send you 100 bees <laughs> <laughs> excellent um for one dollar we'll send you 100 moths so yes, uh, so so they. they... Well, that's the funny thing about like uh, Akashi. Like, 
I also strongly relate to it's Akashi because I'm also terrified of moths. Oh no, you poor thing. But like, it felt like that sort that sort of gave me manic pixie drives. Like, like, um, she's like this ice queen, but oh, she has this weird, quirky fear that turns her into like a damsel in distress. Uh, like when they were at, sitting on the bridge and like the moth came, she like swooned into his lap. Yeah, like, I think hey. I think manic pixie is definitely the because is the incorrect word for her because she the, the correct word for what Akashi is is kudere. Uh, kudere. Yes, she's not a sundere. She's a kudere. Uh, she's not mean to anybody. She just doesn't give a shit. Um, uh. Yeah, like the classic kudere is Ray from Eva. And the classic Sundere is Asuka from Eva. Um, classic Yandere is Shinji. Shinji <laughs> from Eva. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, like that, and like, I think understanding it through the perspective of that trope makes a little more sense. Um, I know. Um, then, then Manic Pixie Dream Girl, because like, like ultimately, I think his his sort of character transformation, especially because like he spends the last two episodes entirely by himself. Um, is largely internal rather than sort of like a thing that is sort of like like oh i know i know i know like some poor uh, woman being forced to make this guy into into a suitable person um, yeah no, we've discussed that earlier yeah. like unlike unlike night is short like it's not on her to make it better but yeah, yeah the problem is that like she's kind of set up as kind of the narrative yeah. reward for him yeah. Uh, yeah. shaping there is definitely like the problem that i have with this and I don't really dislike it that much, otherwise I wouldn't like the show. But the problem that I have with this is definitely that, like, it tells him that the rose-colored campus life doesn't exist, and that he can never have it, and then at the end of the last episode, he just gets it. He, right. It's, 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 like, it's, like, it's like the original Ava, like, until you accept, like... Yeah, until you accept that the rose-colored right. campus life cannot exist, you will never have the rose-colored campus life. Yeah. It's like a, uh, it's like a, I forget what it's, it's called. It's deep. Yeah, man. it's deep, man. Um, but yeah, like the end of this show is is, is sort of quite neat, um, yeah. neat and tidy. Uh, and it, it, it tidy. definitely has. Unlike his room, Christ, yeah. that's a nightmare. Uh, it's cleaner than my room. How do you get, how do you get that much mess in a, in a 4.5 tatami area? How do you not get that much mess in a 4.5 tatami area? <laughs> um, but yeah like like this show has the same problem that most romances have which is that they by setting like love as the objective of your narrative you turn it into like an attainable object rather than a thing that you do you know and he talks about it at the end of of like in narration talks about it at the the very end of the show about how nobody cares about nobody is interested in stories about successful love uh except you unlikely. except you alex oh. um but like it's definitely um it is a show that has the same problem but like i am i'm not willing to overlook it i guess but like i like everything else about the show enough that it's like I mean that flaw isn't unique. I don't give a shit. Like, no. like if I if I if I was this hard lined about, like, I wouldn't be able to watch anything. 
No, I know. Yeah. Like if, I, if I liked the rest of the show, then yeah. I, yeah, I might be able to give it a pass, but I didn't like the rest of the show. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so they sort of escalated the proxy, 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 proxy war um, uh, until eventually it's revealed that Ozu is a double agent um, and has actually been working for Jogosaki the whole time. Uh, <gasps> gasp. Um, like... Yeah, that episode's kind of... Eh. Um, but yeah, but then in but we also get to meet Hanuki a little bit more in that episode because she's also one of Hanuki's disciples. Yeah, um, so she re- re- reprises her role as the the girl who gets drunk and licks people. Yeah. Uh, um, and she's great. She's extreme. Oh yeah, uh, and and so to 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 prove his worth, and this is amazing that I took I took screenshots all over this to prove his worth. Senpai is given one final task to prove that he's worthy to take over the proxy 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 war, um, uh, from from Higuchi. And Higuchi's like in the chaos just after the war in the Pacific. Med students distilled a technique behind tortoise-shaped scrubbing brushes from Nishio Nishi, Nishi Market created a mystical cleaning weapon from the fibers of a palm that grew in Taiwan. The tips of the fiber were both stiff and stuffled. It seemingly used the Vanderwaals force to bind dirt particles. And so this company was put under pressure by detergent makers for fear of losing sales. As its power to clean was considered too great a threat, it was banished to the depths of history. However, it seems like someone continues to make them even now in secret. I wish to obtain one of these myth- mystical tortoise scrubbing brushes. Um, and he, there's, there's a weird, there's a weird bit. I forget why he, why he does this, but he's like, he's like wandering all around the city searching for this thing, and he's, he's just fucking starving because he's, he's just been wandering around all day. And he walks over to a, to the bridge, and all he sees is, is fish and onions lined up instead of couples. Uh, which, <laughs> as far yeah, as the eye can as see, as far as the eye can see, yeah, walks up to straight couple. So, which one of you is the fish, and which one of you is the onion? <laughs> and then, isn't there like a man with a squid? Yeah, there's a guy with an octopus for a head who runs a bookshop. You know, is is he the one who has the scrubby brush? No, no, it's a guy later okay. who like lives who, who lives of- in a world that's all yellow. Uh, and Ooh. he asks for a hundred thousand yen for it, uh, and then to continue the proxy war, uh, Senpai is granted like a hundred thousand yen in a backpack, and he like you know lies on the floor of his room and throws all the cash up into the air. Um, and then they're like, okay, so then then Ozu and uh, and Senpai have like one final, uh, or or Jogusaki and and Higuchi have like one final rock paper scissors battle on a bridge. Um, to determine if Ozu or Senpai will get the first move in the in the pro- in the their time with the proxy 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 war, and then Higuchi just like gazes off wistfully over the bridge and is like, "For now, I plan on circling the globe once." <laughs> um. So, then in the next episode, uh, he joins, uh, the softball team. Uh, Senpai joins the soft the softball club. Uh, which is actually just a front for an elaborate multi-level marketing scheme revolving around Royal Jelly. Um, oh, right. Yeah, so he, he decides, like, the, the person who runs this is the daughter of this uh, this guy who runs this elaborate, like, like very multi-level marketing pyramid scheme company called Hanwaka. Uh, and... And in order to get in her good graces, because she's, like, the most beautiful girl in the entire school, and he just wants to, like, talk to her, uh, he decides to buy a ton of Hanwaka shit, 
um, <laughs> and see if he can rise in the ranks in this in fucking Scientology. You know, see if he can purge all of his thetans by eating honey, um, and uh, so that he can finally meet her. Does he? Does he? Uh, he, d- he doesn't. The... Uh, so does he purge? He doesn't purge. Um, no, because, like, what I loved about this is that it promised to be about softball, but then it couldn't be about it, because that's the thing about baseball. It just isn't that fun. <laughs> so so he decided to buy all the shit, uh, and, you know, he dresses up in the, in the B-missionary outfit, and he tries to sell people shit on the street. Um, and... <laughs> then they go to this big meeting at like their headquarters in the in the woods uh, up in like a mountaintop and they all <laughs> like the guy the guy on the stage comes out like the CEO of the company comes out and he starts talking about how you need to eat all this honey to prepare for judgment day and how the time of judgment is coming 2012 and I, and I flash back to what it was like to live before the year 2012 when everybody was obsessed with Mayans for no reason. And then oh God, on right. December 21st, 2012, everybody abruptly stopped talking about Mayans. Forever. Yeah, we just stopped acknowledging that Mayans existed. Uh, so they built, they built an ark to survive the 2012 apocalypse, which is a giant uh, honeybee-shaped, uh, like, zeppelin. Um... And they decide to, like, put a pair of each animal inside or some shit. Um, so, yeah, so then eventually Ozu, like, Ozu tries to steal the airship for reasons that we don't know yet, but we'll learn later. Um, and he's, like, running this elaborate thing, and the whole thing falls apart, and there's just, like, like the airship crashes, and it just goes nuts. Um, and and uh, Senpai is hoisted. As as he walk, as he walk. is, uh, so this is the last episode you watched, right? Before the last two, right? All right. So episode six, seven, and eight are a trio, are a trilogy of episodes about uh, senpai decide trying to decide between I will I will save three women, but not really because uh, one of them is Hanuki. Is- one, is this like a trolley problem? No. He's trying to decide who he wants to go out with. And one of the women oh. is Hanuki. One of the women <laughs> is Jogusaki's love doll, who he has become the babysitter right. of. Oh, excellent. Uh, okay. And then one of them what, is... Wait, is her name... Is her? Is she Kaori? Yeah, she's Kaori. 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 Okay. Uh, and then one of them is a mysterious woman that he's been exchanging letters with ever since he found her address in the back of a book that he bought from the used book market. Or no, he was given the book by Ozu. Um, so in the so in the first episode, he decides. So the the sort of premise of these three episodes is that he decides that one circle is not enough for him, and that he should join uh, as many. He should join several circles. You know, oh put it, put oh more put his, his eggs in 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 a few baskets. Um, and so the first circle focuses on his time with the English club, uh, and there's some amazing English. Um, <laughs> In this episode, and I and I, I I kind of mean that genuinely. In that, like, uh-huh. it's almost good. It's like so good that I don't believe that these are students learning English like in an extracurricular club. Oh, um, yeah. But it is also very funny to hear anime characters speak English. 
Um, and the way that they like depict it on the screen is that like when like like uh, Kasempai doesn't know shit about English, uh, and so he's just sitting in this club, and everybody else is like having these like like very boring conversations where they say like, and there's one guy like they have like English like when they speak like you what can hear you the like English very briefly like garbled. <laughs> Um, and then, like, words come out of their mouth and, like, shoot at another person. And this one guy, <laughs> like, one guy from the club, he, like, he, he like, look, he, like, puts his hand out towards somebody, uh, and goes... <laughs> um, and it's, it's really good. Um... What does he like to do? I don't think he gets answered. Um... What? Tease. Um, and, uh, Hanuki is also in that class. Uh, and she she is described her English uh, is, is is described as leaving a bit too much to her feelings, uh, and that to be honest, it's a miracle <laughs> the instructor understood a thing she said. Uh, uh, and 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 she spoke passionately about her work and knowledge of teeth, raising everyone in the circle's dental IQ. <laughs> was Hanuki a dental hygienist in the in the other? It was not specified. Night of Short Walk on Girl. It was not specified. She was just. She's uh, just random drunk. The 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 extended universe lore. So then uh, they start. Senpai and H- and Hanuki start going to uh, a cafe after after the club meets uh, and hanging out. And Hanuki tells him uh, about uh, sexual harassment dentist Kub- Kubuzuka, uh, who is oh, this gosh. other guy that she this other dentist that she works with. He's just a huge piece of shit, and she hates him. Um, and her boyfriend, who is Higuchi. Right. Um, and, and basically she's just like, well, this dentist guy sucks. And also my boyfriend sucks because he's always off like reading 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and avoiding the library <laughs> police. Uh, and he never hangs out with me. Uh, you know. <laughs> but did, was, was 20,000 Leagues in... Night is short as well. I don't think so. There's also there's that one. There was that one bit of the of the of the film where they, where he draw, was just like drawing all the connections between the books oh, yeah. and the, and the like yeah. There the, is a Jules Verne eco like the like the book ecosystem. Yeah, like yeah. Book market. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. They do mention they, they they at least mention Jules Verne. I don't okay. know if it's specifically Twenty Thousand Leagues, but it might be. Um, but yeah. So so. This this is the episode where uh, where we get the line about Ozu being in the electrical engineering department but hating both electricity and electronics as well as engineering. Oh, uh, okay, dang it. Um, it's, uh, oh yeah, right. In the cafe, like Senpai finds out that uh, Hanuki has a boyfriend and that it's Higuchi, uh, and but he she doesn't like he doesn't know Higuchi in this in this in this timeline. Um, and then, <laughs> huh? Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm following. Okay, him. he doesn't know Higuchi in the so, timeline. Soak it in the saw up. Um, and then uh, Hanuki, and then he's like, well, what's he like? And Hanuki is like, oh, he's like this, and makes a gesture uh, to indicate that her chin is very large. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't they, at another point, they describe him as with a face like an eggplant. <laughs> <laughs> I miss that. Um, I think it's one of the last two. That's That's plausible. Um, I was watching one of the last two while very tired in a car. Gotcha. Um, where is this? Where is this screenshot? I have it somewhere. <laughs> oh, God. It's ex- it's extremely choice. 
Um, yeah, Hanuki rules this one. Yeah, Hanuki's great. Uh, so then, also in this episode, he gets he gets basically uh, deputized to take care of Kaori, the love doll, uh, because Shogasaki is working on his movie, like the big important movie. Deputized. Um, and so he and he's like, I've been living these past few weeks with this woman, Kaori-san, after some happenings. <laughs> we only we only sort of find out like the context for that in I think episode seven or eight. Um, no, it's episode seven. Um, yeah, episode seven. We find out that so he's just like, I've been living with this love doll in my house because of reasons. Um, uh, and he and he's like, those of you who see a love doll as nothing more than a device to manage one's sexual desires will not understand. But this is extremely sophisticated taste. Fucking uh, reverse sapiosexual. Yeah, he's a reverse sapiosexual. Like he, like he never like he. There's in episode seven. Uh, episode 7 is, is about Kaori, and he spends, like, a bunch of time, because, like, eventually, when Jogisaki, when, like, the hit piece that Ozu makes about Jogisaki gets released, um, Jogisaki hides the love doll in Senpai's room, um, and then he, so he's just sitting there, looking at this, at, at Kaori, and, like, desperately trying to convince himself not to fuck this love doll, because she doesn't deserve it, she's too precious. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ. Um, God damn it. Uh, and so then Hanuki asks him if he wants to go out uh, and get drinks later, and he's like, uh, I have a report due. Uh, and th- but then he's like, no, I gotta go back. I got This is my last day with this love doll. We're being torn <laughs> apart. Uh, and then he's, he's exchanging correspondence with this other woman named Keiko-san, uh, who, who is the pen pal that he met through a book. And that book is Night is Short, Walk On, Girl by Tobihiko Marimi. <laughs> oh, God. Um, and she has written him a letter that's basically like, I want you to meet me at the cafe, and if you don't come, don't write me another letter, because um, I want to meet you in person. Uh, uh, so then he decides to go and see Hanuki, uh, because he decides that she shouldn't be drinking alone, and he finds out that she's at the bar with Jogusaki. Um, and then to defend his honor, Senpai gets into a intense drinking contest with Jogisaki. Um, Wait, what's his honor? Uh, his, I, he, like his, his delusional idea that, uh, Hanuki wants to go out with him. Oh, okay. Um, and then, then he, he go, and then he finds out that they weren't on a date there. Uh, Hanuki and Jogisaki are just friends and they were just hanging out. Uh, and so what? he just had this really intense drinking contest with Jogisaki for no reason. But now he's hammered (laughs) and goes on an insane pub crawl with Hanuki. Um, And then they go back to Hanuki's apartment and Hanuki is just completely hammered and starts licking his face and giving him a gum massage. Um, And uh, you'll be pleased to know that the cowboys in his dick return. I noticed the, yeah, the cowboy, I've seen them and they popped up. Yeah. In the last two episodes as well, yeah. the Dick Cowboys. The Dick Cowboys uh, are, are a big fixture in these three episodes. Um, so for you, those of you who didn't follow, watch our watch our Night of Short Walk On Girl episode or listen to the original film, uh, the the Dick Cowboys show up in, in that. Which, which of these actually came out first? Uh, this one. Okay. Yeah. So, so Night of Short contains a ton of references to the Tatami Galaxy. Okay, I wasn't sure which which came first, the chicken or the tatami. Uh, and yeah, and the senpai in that film is horny. Like, 
trying to yeah, but it's that it's that last surreal yeah. it's kind of having this internal debate over if you should open the door to what's her face yeah. or not uh, yeah the little the cowboys in his dick I just uh, yeah in, they, they, well they start an insurrection yeah they start an insurrection kind of over thing. his mental faculties right, right, um, right. and it's the same thing here his, the cowboy there's one cowboy in his dick here and he's like oh so they've multiplied yeah they've multiplied and he is pissed that um <laughs> That senpai will not take advantage of this extremely drunk woman, um, uh, okay. uh, and the cowboy dick is like my once in a lifetime chance. Ever since I passed through that accursed gate of puberty, my Johnny has been forced into a miserable state. Indeed, my history is nothing but the history of my Johnny's suppression. Uh, yeah, and then but then he's he he decides uh, he's gonna keep his pride as a civilized person, uh, and there's a very similar scene. To, to the brain argument from the end of Night is Short, where all of the different parts of his brain are like, we can't fucking do this. We have to retain our honor. Uh, and he- meanwhile, Hanuki's like, hey, let me see the inside of your mouth. <laughs> um, so yeah, so then uh, to to escape this insane situation, uh, he's like, uh, I cannot allow these these mere these mere tits to grab hold of my pure heart and sacrifice my log protected unavoidable chastity. Um, and so he escapes to the bathroom and hides in the bathroom for a while, uh, just like freaking out over who over over which of these three girls that he should that he should decide to to go out with. Uh, and then he takes so long in the bathroom that he opens the door and decides to finally try to talk to Hanuki-san. Uh, and then he's like, huh, Hanuki-san looks a lot like Ozu. <laughs> and Ozu's right there, and Ozu explains to him uh, that Hanuki does not want to date him or have sex with him, and that she'd like to she'd like him to consider what happened today as water under the bridge. Uh, and, and Ozu's like, you didn't do anything, right? And he's like, all I did was get my face licked. Uh, and Ozu's like, considering your looks, that's all you could expect. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so then in episode seven, um, uh, we get uh, yeah. So in episode seven, he joins the um, uh, the hero show, or or it's it's sort of focusing on him joining the hero show association circle, which is a show where he dresses up like Mochigumon, uh, and puts on shows for children, Aww. um. And he, uh, basically, Akashi is there, because she fucking loves Mochigumon. Um, she's the only one over the age of six in the audience. (laughs) Um, uh, and so he, and Akashi is there, and Akashi starts getting harassed by, uh, some dudes who are, like, just outside the show, uh, while she's watching. And so then, uh, in the Mochigumon suit... Uh, Senpai decides to, like, to break this up and, like, gets an entire, like, army of children to chant at these two just, like, would-be rapists. <laughs> um, Holy shit. Uh, and it kicks ass. Um, and so he decides that he's going to spend that, and so this is the episode where we get sort of the backstory on how he met Kaori. Um, who he describes as... Yes. Uh, who he describes you- as a very elegant woman. Uh, oh, it, it, yeah, this, it, I, was, I thought you were going to say described as a raven-haired maiden, which is like, yeah. also, we were com- we were talking about that for Night of Short Walk Conqueror. Yeah. I was like, how 
like most Japanese yeah. girls have raven-colored hair. Yeah. Um, yeah, you live in Japan. Everyone's a raven-haired maiden. <laughs> so, but it, yeah, that 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 happens again here. I thought he met Kaori through Jokusaki. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is this is the episode where we get that backstory. Uh, that sort of like that sort of context where Jokusaki is like like come to my apartment uh, and like watch movies with my love doll so that she's not alone uh, while I work on this movie. <laughs> Um, and he, he's like, he handed me Kaori's <laughs> entertainment manual. Things like no direct contact, your favorite drinks, not to run out of sweets, short movies to make sure she doesn't get bored. All the essential principles were written down. <laughs> essential principles. Um, and so then, so then he's, he's taken on this job because it pays a lot, uh, while, and spends like most of his afternoon staring at Kaori-san, um, and uh, then he's he's hanging out with Ozu, and Ozu's like, you're Kaori-san's bodyguard, isn't that right? And Senpai does a spit take, and is like, how did you know that? And Ozu's like, please do not underestimate my information gathering network. And then he's like, and then I, I considered posting this, uh, this is a this is another really good just just sentence, or like a line that Senpai has, he says, shut up right now, and then stay silent for eternity. <laughs> which is just a good it's a good just sort of just sort of picture to use in response to some bullshit on the internet shut up now and for all future um, so then senpai decides to elope quote-unquote elope with kaori he basically just picks her up and runs down the street with her uh, uh and like takes her to tendeko ramen <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Um, and then, like, there's this, like, weird ultimatum under a bridge where he's, like, sitting there and he has Kaori in, like, a chair under, the, under like, this bridge. Uh, and he just, like, freaks out, like, because his, his dick, the cowboy in his dick, is screaming at him to fuck this doll under this bridge right this second, mister. Um, and then, like, uh, he gets, and then he gets his ass kicked by Jogusaki. Good. Um, and then in yeah, this is this is the screenshot. Uh, and then we get episode eight, which focuses on the pen pal that uh, he met through Night is Short Walk On Girl. And let me see where it's. It's a silly little young adult novel. <laughs> Feel free to use it as a bad example to follow. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so Ozu gives Senpai that book. Uh, and he finds in it written the previous owner's address. Um, uh, and so then he starts a correspondence with this woman where he's like, starts asking her, like, well, what did you think of this book? Um, and then just constructs this elaborate persona for himself uh, where he's like, he, like, as a child, he spent time in New York and he speaks English and teaches it to college students instead of being like a completely <laughs> useless English speaker, like the worst English speaker in, in, the, his, in his English <laughs> club, who's also never, never left Japan. Um, right. Uh, so, so that's how he, and he starts talking to Keiko, and then he decides. So he decides to go and meet up with Keiko at the cafe. Um, the Neko Cafe. So. No, not the. It's a different. <gasps> cafe. What? Not Neko Ramen, just a cafe. What? Uh, and he gets to the cafe and finds that it's closed because he was late because he was doing other nonsense. Um, like hang, he was hanging out with Hanuki and doing the drinking contest stuff and then he was like I'm gonna go hang out with Keiko and then he goes to the cafe and it's closed and so he decides to actually go to the address that's written on the book oh boy uh, and he looks at the apartment the apartment building that it is and he looks at the door 
because like there's like balconies visible from outside and he looks at the door that is is said to be like the the apartment number of the person who wrote the book and he sees walking oh. into that apartment who else but ozu <gasps> Oh fuck! Uh, and then it is in that moment that he realized what I realized immediately, which is that uh, he has not been corresponding with anybody, uh, with any raven-haired maiden. He has been corresponding with Ozu this entire time, <laughs> uh, and he's been owned. Uh, except that uh, then uh, Akashi shows up, and Akashi is like, "Yeah, Ozu like started corresponding with you, and then he got bored of that." So then he passed like the buck onto me. So actually, you've just been like, you've just been like, we've just been pen pals, like through just invented elaborate personas lying to each other for the past two years. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, so that is that is the end of the the sort of trilogy uh, in which Senpai does not get laid. Thank goodness. Um, so yes, uh, and then we get episode nine which is where he joins the secret society lucky cat chinese restaurant uh which is a secret society that operates the various sort of dubious campus activities uh like the bike like the bike like the bike stealers like the print shop that makes that forges reports for students um like the library police are also a branch of the of the lucky the lucky cat chinese restaurant um, and he, uh, it is very bad, uh, at all of the things that the society assigns him, and Ozu is very good at it, and eventually becomes the leader of the society by <gasps> hoisting the previous leader, who's a, a super pimply nerd, um... Is that the nerd that he... Yeah. ...outs as a cross-dresser? Yeah. Um, or at the very least, procures a picture of in lingerie. Yeah. Um... And so Ozu then appoints appoints uh, Senpai as the uh, as the the head of the the cherry the 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 bicycle the bicycle place the bicycle zone the bicycle works uh, um, and so he becomes the bicycle fascist yeah the bicycle fascist uh, and so then he actually steals uh, Akashi's bike <gasps> uh, and then he decides uh, fuck this. Uh, I shouldn't have joined any circles. I should just stay in my four and a half tatami room forever. And that's where I picked up. And that's up. where you picked up in episode 10, where he has decided yeah. to not join any clubs and not to make any friends, and instead decides to spend all of his free time in his four and a half tatami room. Um, and he becomes a four and a half, a four and a half uh, ideologue. Yes. Rejecting all other t- uh, size rooms. Size of tatami room. Yeah. As, as, as Harris yes, says. he is a recognized authority on the four and a half tatami rooms. Uh, <laughs> he's heard that there are rooms that exist with two tatami mats laid end to end. That in sleeping in them makes you tall. Yeah. Uh, and then in, uh, in Kita Shirakawa Baptist General Hospital's uh, blank ward, redacted ward, it is said that there are one tatami rooms, but the students who knew of this ended up mysteriously disappearing. And our <laughs> friends, one by one, all met unfortunate fates. Then there is the four and a half tatami room. The four and a half tatami room is a truly beautiful square. Two tatamis can also form a square, but it's cramped. On the other hand, once you've made a square larger than four and a half tatami, it becomes as spacious as Takeda Shingen's laboratory, and one might even get lost. <gasps> After entering university, I became a fierce supporter of the four and a half tatami room. Uh, so he decides, and, uh, and at the end of the Lucky Cat episode, he gets told by, oh, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Higuchi, that uh, the Royce Color Campus life doesn't exist. That it's it's not something oh. that he's going to find. Right. Um, 
Yeah, he says because he's he's talking about um, he's yeah he's talking to Gucci and Gucci's like you cannot use the word possibility without limitations. Can you become a bunny girl? Can you become a pilot? Can you become a famous singer <laughs> or a superhero who saves the world with his powers? Perhaps you could, but if you keep focusing your gaze on that which is unrealistic, you never will. The root of all your evil is and always lying on relying on one of your other possibilities to get your wish. You must accept that you are the person here now, and that you cannot become anyone else other than that person. There is no way that you can lead some worthwhile college life and feel satisfied. I guarantee it. So have confidence. <laughs> um. So the four and a half Tommy room. So then basically he spends all of his free time in his room, and he wakes up one morning and discovers that when he opens the door to his room. Uh, instead of the hallway, uh, there's just another four and a half tatami room. And when he opens the window on the other side of the room, instead of outside, it's just another four and a half tatami room through the window. Uh, and when he punches through the ceiling, instead of, uh, I don't know, I don't know what you expected to find up there, but it's another <laughs> four and a half tatami room. The tatami galaxy. And in each, and each, and, and he sort of spends a bunch of time wandering through, this this tatami galaxy, if you will. Uh, I will. Oh, uh, I will. And he discovers that in each room, each room is identical to his his, his original room, or so he thinks. Um, and each room contains some uh, frozen fish burgers and a Castella, <laughs> which he uses as a source of food. <laughs> what exactly is Castella? It's a type of cake. It's a type of Japanese cake. I I look this up. Is a popular Japanese Castella is a popular Portuguese sponge cake made of sugar, flour, eggs, and starch syrup, but it's now a specialty of Nagasaki, and the cake was brought to Japan by Portuguese merchants in the 16th century. How weird. Yeah. But yeah, it looks it looks like the kind of thing you would get sick of very quick. I uh, yeah, I mean I I have one. They're, they're good. I'm not a huge sponge cake person though. I wouldn't have that big of one. Uh, yeah. Well, I think that's kind of the. I would have a. I would have a slice. Yeah, you'd have a slice with the person with the person that you're dating because that's how Castellas work. I, but you can have a slice. I can have a little. I can have a little slice of Castella as a treat. <laughs> I can have a little slice of Castella. Um. So uh, he eventually determines that there. He he goes to like find a book on the shelf of one of the tatami rooms, and he realize that he knows he bought, but he realizes that uh, it's not there, and that in fact, <gasps> in every single every single uh, room represents a parallel universe. Um, that he uh, a different set of choices that he could have made. Um, you know, with different sets of books, different slightly different arrangements of things in the shelf. Like, he discovers that, like, uh, in every single room, jammed between, like, the desk and a pile of crap, um, is, like, a little wallet with a thousand yen in it. So he just grabs a backpack and goes around to all the tatami rooms, collecting, like, hundreds of thousands of yen. And then he eventually decides to to bust through the wall. But, of course, through the wall is just another four and a half tatami room. Even though he can hear other people's conversations through the walls because they're so thin, he, it's just it's just nothing but empty four and a half tatami rooms. And then we get... An insane callback because in uh, yeah, yes, yeah because in the, yeah in the, in the multi in the multi level marketing honey Scientology episode uh, there's a, a a weird like half a second where like a weird bearded guy comes through the wall of of Senpai's room and he just like pushes him back through the wall. Uh, and then like boards up that wall with 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 boxes of of honey of honey Scientology shit, um, and it's insane and it doesn't make any sense at the time. But then you find out watching the uh, watching episode eleven that or ten yeah ten or eleven I think it's in eleven that uh, that was uh, 
like senpai. Yeah, that was senpai who had grown an enormous beard from spending all this time in in the four and a half Tatami galaxy. Uh, that he he busted through, he and he busted through the wall trying to get the attention of some other version of himself, uh, and then freaked freaked them out. Um, so yes, so he sees all of these choices that he that he has made, uh, and all of like the different worlds, and he starts to like he basically does like environmental storytelling. Uh, he he plays Gone Home with himself, uh, and and sort of like picks up different objects and like reads his correspondences with people and and stuff like that, and like uses the clues in every four and a half to Tommy to figure out what kind of person he was in the universe that produced that room. Uh, there's also a really great shot of like someone like cooking uh it looks like slices of spam in a frying pan with chopsticks but and the spam and the, the frying pan are like live action footage and the, but the chopsticks are drawn in i thought the spam was drawn in. no it's not i'm looking at it right now maybe in one shot they are no i got I yeah well, uh, okay well okay you're a spam expert yeah, uh, they're just the spam showed up a couple times didn't it i think so during the show yeah but it's i i forget it Cass. it's spam it's Damn. <laughs> you find that funny? It, yeah, yeah. You, you find this funny? You're, you're just like, it's bad. Are you joking at me? <laughs> oh, God. Um. Yeah, like episode ten when he like realizes, like that like felt it was very obviously like book adaptation. Like there was a lot of kind of like yeah redundant narration. A man walking around in a in a universe of four and a half to Tommy rooms is something that's a little bit more interesting to read about. Um, than to watch. <laughs> Although I really liked yeah. these episodes, um, yeah, no, they did. They did well with what they had. Yeah, it's very much a uh, uh, library of Babel kind of kind of thing. It's, I I was thinking about yeah, that it feels too. Like, it, like, it feels you were like, talking about the bookshelves. Yeah, like a man lost in an infinite universe of four and a half to Tommy rooms is is like what if Jorge Luis Borges was Japanese? Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, and it's in this episode when he realizes, and he like looks back through. There's another incredible shot where he like looks back at all the mochigaman uh, hanging from the ceiling of all of the four and a half Tommy rooms through the holes that he's punched in the wall uh, of all of them, and he realizes at that moment where he's seen that mochigaman before, uh, and and that he is in love with Akashi, um, and what that old fortune teller lady was talking about when she talked about uh, the opportunity dangling in front of his eyes. I took- he didn't realize until then. I thought he realized like he realized it occasionally in previous episodes, yeah, uh, but he never okay. followed through on it. Right. What a dipshit. <laughs> um. <laughs> so yes. So in the last episode, uh, then he how does he get out? I forget. Uh, I, yeah, I don't remember either. I think he just kind of does <laughs> right no he's he's like uh let me open let me open the, let me open the thing because he gets back to the room that he was in originally uh-huh. um let me try let me try to find the part see so, yeah, he returns to the four and a half time room that he started at wonders if he's dead <laughs> realizes there's a bunch of moths 
Yeah, he's so where do, yeah, where did the moths come from? Every single tatami room has a single moth in it. Oh, so he collects them? He's No, he's it's just... Because there's like... They're, now he's punched a hole through so many of them that the moths are just free. Uh, right, okay. yeah, he just like... Like, all the moths come after him and then he jumps out of a window and he lands instead of in another Fortnite tatami room in an alley. Yeah. Yeah, once he grabs just the in the time moth, to see Just in time to see the, the ceremony where they let up the big kanji. And where Ozu is about to jump off into the river. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah. So that's and then he goes to the to the bridge, uh, and the moths well, follow he, him. He, well, he he does a naked like uh, Icarus flight. Yeah, he sprints yeah. after Ozu to save him, even though in this timeline Ozu has no idea who he is. Uh, and then all of his clothes fly off him because he's running so fast. Uh, and then he's, he, he he leaps up from the river bank to the bridge. Yeah, and then he rescues Ozu. And Ozu's like, "Who the fuck are you?" He's like, "It's me." It's me. We're connected by the black thread of fate. And then I was just like, you're naked. And then they both fall into the river. Yeah, they both fall into the river, but, uh, (laughs) but, uh... But the moths rescue them somehow. No, the moths, like, chase everybody away, and they get knocked into the water, and then they, um... Senpai, Senpai, um, like, holds onto, is able to hold onto a rock and keep them, keep them alive. Oh right, yeah. Because the danger originally was, yeah. Kashi was like, the the water's too running too fast. You'll you'll get swept away and die. Yeah. Uh, the very the very first episode, and then yes. big boy rescues them both. Yeah, and then because there's infinite moss, Akashi freaks the fuck out. Uh, but she doesn't have her mochikuman, and so it's a perfect opportunity for Senpai to sh- to show up and be like, "Hey, I have infinite of those motherfuckers." Sup? What's up? You want to go to Nekoramen later? Yeah, so um, uh, and that's pretty much it. Then there's like a yeah. there's like a scene later where they visit Ozu in the hospital because he broke his leg. And then they f- they, f- they find out he's been secretly dating which one? The the ultimate raven haired maiden. I don't remember her name. Oh right, the 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 the, the figurehead for the yeah. cult. Yeah, for the weird honey Scientology. And then they tease him about it, and he's like. Why are you so awful to me? And Senpai goes, it's how I show my love, which is Ozu's line from yeah. the previous episodes. And he looks like a, a demon. Yeah. And then, and... Yes, and then he, he decides, when he goes back to university, he decides to choose a sixth of the Tommy room instead of a four and a half. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the, what is the symbolism of him becoming... The Ozu face at the end. Is, it, is, the, is the cycle not complete? No, it is complete. Mm-hmm. It's that looking like a yokai is the natural <laughs> state of humanity when you're having fun. Yeah. Right. And, be, and, and being an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> and continuing the masochistic proxy, 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 proxy war. Yeah. yeah. So, so what he sort of realizes at the end, and he, and he looks at, he like he finds Ozu's phone in one of the tatami rooms. Uh, and looks through it and realizes that like and he he's sitting there thinking like man this Ozu guy's awesome like he he's got his <laughs> shit together like he's having he's doing all this crazy shit like he's he's pu- oh right because yeah yeah at one point yeah he's walking through the rooms and kind of getting the getting the flavor of each of them he's like i had learned that the rose colored campus life doesn't exist but each of these rooms st- still had a hue of its own and so all of a sudden he's nostalgic for the shit lives he's le- led before because at least they weren't as shit as the one he's leading now <laughs> And then he's yeah. Ozu's phone, and what were you saying? Yeah, and he's like, man, this Ozu guy really had, really knows what, really knows how to have fun in college, you know. He was doing all sorts of crazy shit. 
Um, he surely, <laughs> if I were his friend, my life would be so much better. Um, you know, when in the episode when he's learning English, uh, he does a presentation on how much he hates Ozu, and he screams, <laughs> he screams in English, "Go to hell, Ozu!" <laughs> Um, but yeah, and he he sort of realizes that like the idea of like the sort of like perfect pristine camp rose colored campus life where he's friends with everybody and has a like beautiful perfect girlfriend and you know everybody and like you know everything's perfect and wonderful is bullshit and it's way more fun to fire fireworks uh, at people on the <laughs> on the riverbank uh, you know and and just do all sorts of crazy shit. Um, you know, it's Except, like as you mentioned at the end, his life does become perfect. He gets his raven haired girlfriend, and yeah, everything works out. Yeah, so, um, so it's the drill voice. Who's to say what's uh, what's good or what's bad? Good or bad? Yeah. <laughs> but I do think there's something to the idea because this was something last episode when we talked about, um, uh, uh, uh Tale of the Princess Kaguya. That's what we talked about last episode. Uh, I, wrote, I think so. I wrote in the show notes uh, that I deeply regretted the fact that we did not talk at all about Buddhism in that episode. Uh, uh, because that movie, as soon as we were done, while I, like, while I was editing it, I was like, fuck, this movie is super Buddhist, and neither of us picked up on it. Uh, and, <laughs> Um, I mean, yeah, they basically, like, at the end, like, the Buddha comes down yeah. from the moon. Yeah, because I was talking, because the thing that I wanted to say about that was about how, like, essentially the argument that it's that it's making is, I mean, like, I, I, I said that uh, uh, Kugu, Princess Kui is a very Buddhist movie, but honestly, it's kind of an anti-Buddhist movie. Um, because oh yeah you're right yeah because it's 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 essentially like the argument that it's making is so like the whole thing of Buddhism is that that like uh, if you're if you're unfamiliar like the the Buddha was a guy and he came up with these with these four noble Dude. truths uh, and the four noble truths are that uh, all life is suffering the root of suffering is desire the end of suffering can be attained by eliminating all desire. And that the noble eightfold path is the way to end desire. So far, like the ancient Stoics. Yeah, yeah. Um, In the sense of of just achieving, achieving, just complete kind of stability through um, eliminating all all worldly like desires. Yeah, there's there's a subtle distinction I think between because like the the Stoics thought, like, their whole idea was that there's no sense in getting upset over shit that happens in your life because the world is designed to be maximally rational because the universe itself is rational. And Well, not all. Not I mean, like, I was thinking more like Lucretius. Um, and I don't think his... I think his was more just, like, you're gonna die, it'll all be over, no point getting... All head up during yeah, because like the original because like because I'm mostly thinking of like Zeno, not that Zeno, oh, the other okay. Zeno, uh, Zeno with a Z, not Zeno with an X. Uh, <laughs> Zeno warrior, princess. yeah, Zeno warrior princess, um, Zeno, um, and and like the whole like Stoic or like original Stoic metaphysics of like the idea, and I forget what the Greek word for it is, but like the idea that like the 
the fundamental force of the universe is reason and that the universe is mm-hmm. maximally reasonable and that if anything and it's very similar to a lot of like theodicies best of all possible worlds yeah it's, it's very similar to a lot of theodicies of, of like this is anything that ha- anything bad that happens to you is just part of a greater rational plan that you cannot comprehend so there's no point in getting upset over it you know um yeah. whereas i think buddhism is more about uh, it, 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 I think it gives people a little more agency um, in, in that like you can choose to follow the eightfold path and to not want and to not want things and that's part of what made Buddhism very appealing in a region that was dominated by Hinduism because Hinduism uh, you had to like fulfill you had to fulfill your Dharma uh, which might have been like scraping cow shit and then you'll move up to the next level where your Dharma is like you know fighting a war and then you'll move to the next dar- the, the next level the next cast where your dharma is you know teaching about god or whatever um whereas buddhism offers the possibility that if you're good enough at being mindful you can attain enlightenment in this life you know like it, it offers this direct yeah. path to enlightenment yeah. so what the tale of the princess kaguya i think argues is that uh actually enlightenment is bullshit uh, and the Buddha is full of shit, and that it sucks, and that actually desiring things in the material world is awesome, even if it contains, even if it, it leads to suffering, because that's all part of it. Um, right, right. Which I, I, I also disagree with, which I think is part of my problem with that movie. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, and we discussed that, yeah. like, it, it's the same thing as, as the people who yeah. do theodicies, where it's like, oh, evil is fine, because it makes the... It makes our our life so much more meaningful when we when we get good things. And it's like, do you really are you really taking seriously how much evil shit happens on a day to day basis? Also, I, I I forgot exactly that. Yeah, Lucretius wasn't really a stoic. Yeah. I mean, his his more was about, or like about like about the fear of death and yeah. how like if you if you stop worrying about death you can kind of just chill and take life as it comes and and kind of level level everything out and it's not so much about tamping down desires as kind of yeah because lucretius harmony lucretius was an epicurean according to wikipedia which which i mean a different 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 sense than like the hedonism sense that we associate yeah because like people people because like epicurus and hedonism have come to mean a very different thing in the same way that stoicism has come to mean a very different thing like the word stoic, stoic just comes from the fact that they hang, uh, they hung out on the porch all the time. Because <laughs> in Greek, stoa is like a covered walkway. Right. Yeah, um, you know. So so uh, like Epicurus was like very big on the idea that like no no no, you shouldn't be like getting drunk and having wild sex parties all the time because that stuff will make it more likely that you're going to die like now. Uh, you know, and and so you should take care of yourself. And, and sort of savor pleasure over a long period of time and find the pleasures that you can indulge in without without hurting yourself. And that was that was sort of Epicurus's whole thing was like he used hedonism to argue for a sort of reasoned measured lifestyle. Um, uh, but yeah, but like you can also absolutely read this this show it through a Buddhist lens, and in which case it I think is way more in line with Buddhist philosophy because he, uh, Senpai spends like the the first you know nine episodes ten episodes um 
desiring things. He spends, you know, desiring that rose-colored campus life. Um, and it's only after he stops desiring that he actually gets what he wants, you know? Yeah. Um, which is to sort of, like... Well, like, it's, it's, I think it's maybe it's more that, like, well, what, what he... He tries to stop desiring things, but then he starts missing things, and and he realizes how much better off it was when he like actually did stuff and and enjoyed things. And then is once he kind of learns to value like the life he has rather than the life he wanted, then he starts. Then he kind of yeah. breaks free of his galaxy yeah shell. he starts like um, he, st- he, stop- he stops desiring anything totally and then realizes that like the problem wasn't what- that his life was bad the problem was that he didn't appreciate the fact that he like actually had a bunch of friends and like was right. living a, a like interesting life even if it wasn't always good for him you know yeah and, like, that he was honestly having a pretty good time most of the time, except for, like, the weird end parts. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and that allows him to sort of have a sort of clarity about, like, what he actually wants, or, like, not even what he actually wants, but what he actually has, you know? And, like, yeah. accepting that, like, you know, because in a lot of ways, Akashi is less, like, a manic pixie dream girl or, like, the ideal woman or anything like that. As she is like, uh, and I don't know why this is the only example that I can think of, but she's like Taylor Swift in that Taylor Swift song from like 2010. The cheerleader one? Yeah, the cheerleader one where she wears the big glasses in the music video. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I forget the name of that song. Um, But yeah, Uh, that's that's what Akachi is. Is the, the, the person who's been there the whole fucking time. Um, right in front of his eyes, and he just didn't notice her. Um, My God, you know, um, yeah. And and Ozu, the friend that he's had the entire time, uh, and never yeah. appreciated because he hates vegetables and engineering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um. It's definitely, like, I liked this show a lot for its sense of humor and for the way that it's animated. And I just, really, I just wanted more Night is Short, Walk On Girl. And being able to get a show that was 11 episodes of that was good for me. Um, you know, because I, I don't have the same, like, upper limit tolerance for nonsense that you do. I, can, <laughs> I will tolerate infinite nonsense. Uh, not just tolerate it. I will. I will. I can enjoy infinite nonsense. <laughs> the nonsense appreciator yeah. has logged on. Yeah, I just. I love just bizarre. Like it's it. Like this feels like because it, it also reminds me of. And I've never read a, a Tomohiko Marimi novel, but I have read a lot of Haruki Murakami novels. Um, and it's it reminds me a lot of what I like about Haruki Murakami, which is that like and and why I put up with Haruki Murakami's weird misogynistic bullshit. Um, is that it's, that is like 10% of, of his books and it sucks that it's there and I can't recommend his books wholeheartedly to anybody because he spends a solid 10% of his time just being like a weird, gross old man. Um, but the rest of it is just these like bizarre, insane, magical realist conspiracy theories that I'm just a complete (laughs) sucker for. Um, it's why I like Thomas Pynchon, um, (laughs) 
even though Thomas Pynchon isn't magical realist, but he, like, all of his books are just these just completely insane, weird conspiracy theories involving just, like, strange details and, like, aspects of society, like, uh, like, uh, my, probably my favorite book of his, uh, The Crying of Lot 49 is, is this very short book about, um... I think that's the only one I've read. Yeah. Uh, I, I think we talked remember. about this when I read it. Uh, it's, it's a book about... I was, I was going to tell you what it's about, but I honestly think I might endorse, or I might recommend The Crying of Lot 49 <laughs> oh, uh, at the end of well, this let's, episode. Let's segue, let's let's segue, segue right, right into, into it. it, I guess. So my recommendation for this month, I'm going first this time, I never go first. <gasps> um, my recommendation for this month is The Crying of Lot 49 by Thomas Pynchon, which is a, it's a very, it's Thomas Pynchon's shortest novel, it's like 200 pages long, um, and it is about a woman whose name is hilariously Edipa Moss. Uh, and she, uh, has been named the executor, the co-executor, along with, like, an actual lawyer of her, like, ex-boyfriend's estate, like, years after she'd stopped talking to him and married a different guy. Um, and, like, just weirdly. And as part of that is this, like, stamp that she starts investigating like what's going on with this thing and she discovers this um let me remember the the names she discovers this elaborate conspiracy um that basically like she unearths this centuries old like war between these two postal delivery companies called Tristero and Thern and Taxis um, and they have, and, and basically they've been, like, they were, like, these two, like, Thurn and Taxis was a real, uh, postal service in the Holy Roman Empire, and Tristero is one that he just made up. Whoa. And, uh, and Thurn and Taxis was, like, the first, like, private company to distribute mail. They were the proto-proto-proto-proto-proto-UPS. Motherfuckers. Uh, motherfuckers, yeah. Um, and... So she decides to, like, investigate this this situation. Um, and so basically... And, and so Thurn and Ta- So, like, Trista Rose depicted as, like, having gone underground after the war. And Thurn and Taxis isn't around anymore. But, like, like Trista Rose still continues to exist even in the 1960s. And it has these... And it's, it's running this elaborate, like, underground postal system called Waste. Um, that everybody except her seems to know about. Um, and it's just this insane, like, weird conspiracy thing. She spends a bunch of time, like, it's, it's sort of, it's definitely very early postmodernism in that it's a book about a woman who spends a lot of time wandering around trying to find meaning or answers to anything. And then at the end... It's not that early, is it? When was it published? 1960s. Um, uh, 1965. Yeah. yeah, so that's that's. It's that's early postmodernism, weird. you know, like post because postmodernism is post World War Two, so it's like you know. Really? Yeah, I thought. It, I mean, I, I, I mean, the like the interwar period, where like that's the interwar period is where modern up, and that was the kind of this where modernism kind of from. the. But wasn't that kind of the source of like the, the roots of postmodernism? Yeah, I mean, like, like it's the, not called postmodernism for no reason, but. Um, like, the difference between postmodernism and modernism is that postmodernism is fun and modernism is miserable. Um, <laughs> uh, that's pretty much, uh, I, I, cause I literally, I just got done this past semester, I took an American liter a class on American literature from the 
like late 19th 20th and early 21st centuries uh, um uh-huh. so i it's fresh fresh in my brain because my and our professor my professor for that class was he like he was like an expert on this he his, he did his phd on william faulkner and tony morrison um oh my, oh my. and so he is so like this is this is his shit um, and he talked, we talked a lot about like the diff, like modernism, postmodernism and modernism being about like, there's a huge gaping hole at the center of human existence where meaning should go and it's not there. And we're all just okay. constantly searching for meaning. And even if it exists, we'll never understand it because we understand things through language and language is inadequate. Um, and they're all miserable. Like T.S. Eliot is just a miserable motherfucker. Um, who writes these just bleak ass poems about how horrific it is that the world has no meaning in it. Uh, and then post World War II, you have guys like uh, Thomas Pynchon and Kurt Vonnegut, um, who come along and are like, "Yeah, what if there's no meaning in the world? But that's like, this just have a party then? Who gives a shit, man? Who gives a shit, man? Like it, it um." You know, so like, like the crying of La Fortuna is classic early postmodernism, and that it is just this elaborate sort of conspiracy plot uh, where this woman tries to unravel it and find the meaning at the center of it, and at the end of the book, there is none. Ta da! Um, but it's like also like really like really hilarious and just like a weird yeah. a weird story to read because Pynchon Pynchon is a very funny writer. Um, yeah, it's 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 a good. It's a good first pension to read because if you don't like it, it's only about two hundred pages long, so it's not that bad. Um, yeah, it's it's good, um, and it's it's a better place to start than probably his most well known novel is Gravity's Rainbow, which is like eight hundred pages long, and I don't have right. I, I, I even I don't have the patience for it. Uh, he 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 has longer novels than that. Uh, uh, Mason and Dixon is this insane novel that he wrote, I think, in the late eighties, early nineties, about uh, Charles Mason and Jeremiah Dixon, the guys who drew the Mason Dixon line. Um, and there's this like completely insane fictional history of their lives as told by like as like in like a frame narrative by like one guy in a bar to a bunch of other guys like recounting it it's like it, it's 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 good and then he has this a, a little later than that he has this over a thousand page novel called against the day um which is um it's set in between world wars one and two uh and it's just like this just weird like perspective jumping like metatextual monster uh about like the I don't even know what it's about. It's too complicated. <laughs> it's too complicated to summarize what it could possibly be about. Um, it's like if, if it's like if El Doctoro's Ragtime was a thousand pages long. Um, I don't know what that is. Uh, Ragtime is a, a a very short book about the interwar period. Um, yeah, uh, that's very well known. It's it, I say very short. It's like less than three hundred pages, uh, or like three hundred ish pages. Um, and Against the Day is like if that was a thousand pages long and also written by Thomas Pynchon. Um, yeah, so that's my that's my recommendation. It is The Crying of Lot 49 by Thomas Pynchon. And what's yours, Alex? Oh, I'll, 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 I'll do something a little different. Uh, graphic novel. Ooh. My, my favorite thing is Monsters by Emil Ferris. And at, when I was reading it at first, I thought it was like a, a largely kind of like autobiographical thing about a because it was it's it's like a coming of age of this of this girl karen but turns out it's it's 
largely not autobiographical, except just some aspects of her childhood in Chicago in the 60s. Uh, But the main character is this girl, Karen, who uh, is a kind of very square-jawed, like, goofy-looking girl who uh, leans into it by dressing up in a like a trench coat and <laughs> constantly fantasizing about becoming a monster and it's it's so funny it, it like it um it begins just like her early life and how she doesn't fit in and how um like she kind of leans into her weirdness as a sort of defense mechanism and this is one line about how uh like her friends kind of begin to like assimilate into cliques and stuff uh she's talking about valentine's day when she made these like grotesque valentines with like fake blood on them uh these these kids give out these these sappy cards uh i don't usually ever get any except for missy but missy has changed a lot she used to like monsters so me and her were best friends but now she likes boys instead princey's a bad mistake (laughs) (laughs) and then uh yeah speaking speaking, so it's also about her her like her coming to terms with her sexuality that is Um, a bad mistake a a grave error speaking of edipamas from your thing that she's 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 eavesdropping on uh her brother her, her older brother and his friend and the older brother has gotten in some shit. He's he's usually um, kind of in trouble one way or another. So he he figured out that their dad is gonna threaten him. I I think I either they're undocumented. Either no, they're not undocumented. I think the mother is white and the father is uh, Hispanic. But anyway, for some reason, he realizes it, like the dad is the estranged dad is threatening them. So he's talking to his buddy and Karen is, is eavesdropping. And his brother's like, so my, my only move is to, is to take the bastard out and kill my fucking father. <laughs> oh shit. And then, and then his friend's like, Oh, so you're a, you're a modern day Oedipus. And, but Karen doesn't know what that word is. So she hears it as Eddie piss. And his like, his like speech bubble is shaped to a dick. <laughs> And she's just like staring at this imaginary penis in the air. It's so it's so bizarre and it's so funny. Eddie uh, piss. Yeah, but yeah, it's. I think the second like this like the second part is coming out next year. But uh, my favorite thing is Monsters by Emil Ferris. It is. It's excellent. All right. Well, uh, that's the show. Alex, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, God. One day I'm going to disappear off the internet and just hide in my new couch forever. You did. You received Until a then, new couch at, at 8 o'clock p.m. I received a new couch at 9 o'clock p.m. 9 o'clock p.m. It was a, a mystery couch. I took it in from the cold. Was it mystery? If was it's it cold, mystery if, sticky? If, you, if you're cold, it's cold. <laughs> Bring your couch in. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dun Dun Dun. You can find me on Mastodonk at Catalina at Selfie.army. Selfie has a Y in it and no I. What about you, Cass? Uh, you can find my Twitter at Prophet underscore Goddess. 
Fairly Mastodon at Profit underscore Goddess at, at Skeleton.cool. I almost said at Mastodon.cool, which I don't think is the right. <laughs> it is now. Uh, you can play my video games at ProfitGoddess.ishio. No underscore in that one. <gasps> uh, that's it. Very uh, cool. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Mm. I hope you enjoy Next it. month. Oh, yeah. Right. What do you want to watch? <laughs> I'm going to turn it back on you, and we are going to watch the Animatrix, <laughs> which is a series of short, a series of shorts, um, like based in and around the world of the Matrix. So this is going to force Cass to finally watch that film. Uh, the good news is that uh, I hear that the Matrix is actually a good movie. Well, well, yeah. no, no spoilers from me. Um, I almost, I might have to do this now, because I I received some some Amazon gift cards from relatives, which I know oh. is not our uh, for Christmas, which I know is not our sponsor, BetterWorldBooks.com. Yeah. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of that website except the two of us and everybody who's ever listened to our podcast. Uh, <laughs> so I bought a bunch of books, and I was gonna buy Simulacra and Simulation, and I might I might just buy Simulacra and Simulation. Uh, and read it, and then and then endorse it at the end of the show. I'm, gonna... I'm sure you could find it on BetterWorldBooks.com. I can, but it's really expensive on BetterWorldBooks.com. And I have twenty five dollars on uh, uh, for on Amazon, which I gross. it is gross, but it's it is also only fourteen dollars and seventy nine cents on Amazon. Uh, the 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 hardcover is one thousand dollars and one thousand ninety nine dollars and ninety nine cents. Beautiful. Um, so you know. Yeah. No. Uh, if we were on Patreon, that's where I'd plug our Patreon, but we're not. <laughs> we'll be we'll be we get a Patreon mount one day. We're, oh hell! We're coming yeah. for you, Chapo. Fuck them. Fuck them. Uh. Anyway, thanks for listening. <laughs> And the end of the podcast on that. Just fuck that. Fuck Chapo. We're off. Good night. <laughs>